Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And it is holiday time. It's Christmas time. I mean, kind of doesn't matter even what you celebrate or don't celebrate because Christmas is thrust upon uh, everyone, at least uh here in the U.S. Yeah, it is a juggernaut, mm-hmm. which is kind of why we want to sit here and look at a couple of classic Christmas stories this season and plumb the depths of Christmas and see if there's a bit more to it. Uh, so we thought we'd start with Old Scrooge. We're talking about the 1843 Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. Yes, A Christmas Carol, which if you're like me, you've, you know, you've encountered this story more than just about any other story. It's you end up reliving it every Christmas as you grow up. Different film adaptations. Maybe you have to go to a play version of it. Um, uh, f- like for my part, I don't think I've ever actually read it. Like I have no desire to read it because I've 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 suffered through enough of it <laughs> on the screen. I mean, and, and that's not to say I don't appreciate some of the adaptations. I, I love uh, the musical Scrooge. Um, and, and could easily belt out some tunes from it right now, but, uh. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's my go-to Scrooge, by the way, uh, okay. Albert Finney. But, um, but yeah, it's just, you, you can't avoid it. It's just, uh, nailed into your head. It is. And, uh, so probably for, for a lot of you guys out there listening to this, this is all gonna sound familiar, but we're gonna go through it anyway. We're talking okay. about an, a miserly old geezer named okay. Ebenezer Scrooge, and he is visited by myriad ghosts. On the eve of Christmas, including his dear friend, who's now a ghost, uh, Jacob Marley, and then the ghost of past, present, and future. And these visitations caused Scrooge to rethink his relationship and behavior uh, to those around him, particularly his employee, Bob Cratchit, and his family, including his infirm son, Tiny Tim. Yes. God blesses everyone is, is the, 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 the catchphrase that resonates with everyone. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, like you said, it's a story of spirits of time travel uh you yeah. could you could say that this is an early time travel uh, story i mean you wouldn't be wrong because each of these traumatic spirits takes uh scrooge and the first one says hey let me take you into the past this is how screwed up your past is and then uh, the ghost of christmas present says hey let me take you out into the present this is how screwed up your life is right now and then the ghost of christmas future <laughs> says we'll just wait till what i have to show you this is how bad it's gonna get and, uh, and of course, uh, the, the Ghost of Christmas Future is also generally, uh, wrapped up in a personification of death as well, because that's the, uh, the icing on the cake. This is how bad the future is going to get. Oh, and you're going to die and nobody's going to care. You know what? This is such a bleak story when you get down to it. Yes, but you know what? I think all Christmas stories should be bleak mm-hmm. because even when you, when you strip away all the consumerism and the nonsense and the, and the fake happiness, like any winter, like deep winter festival is ultimately about, Hey, everything's getting colder. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't Things grow food dying. anymore. Things are dying. It, is the, is the sun going to come back? Is the spring going to come back? Are we going to survive? And it's about, Finding some reason to survive in the the pit of despair, like even the the Christmas story with uh, the birth of Jesus and all. I mean, you could say that that all boils down to the idea of you have this dark world that's really doomed, and then there's this one light that kind of emerges to ultimately redeem everything. But it comes out of a dark night. You're right, and uh, we talked about this in the episode, the dark, in which there is this sort of inward uh, move. 
into the dark, into ourselves and exploring this terrain. So it really is kind of perfect Christmas fair in a way. I wanted to mention that Dickens wrote the novella in record time, just six weeks, financing and arranging for the publishing because nobody else would publish it. Mm-hmm. And um, and the reason why he could tear through it so quickly is because uh, Christmas Carol is actually a territory that he had covered before. There's a story uh, based on Gabriel Grubb, a character in the story of the goblins who stole a sexton, which appeared in Dickens' first published novel, The Pickwick Papers. And in the story, a gravedigger determined not to make merry at Christmas is kidnapped by goblins and convinced to change his ways. That sounds amazing. I want to see that this Christmas. <laughs> I thought that would appeal goblins to you. Goblins and gravediggers, yes. <laughs> but um, ultimately, what we're talking about here is a tale of greed and generosity, personal gain versus humanitarian gain. So we're going to try to cover a little ground today using Scrooge as our basis. We're going to look at uh, something called post-traumatic embitterment disorder, uh, the unconscious psychotherapy, and epiphanies. Yes, and and a little drugs in the end, just a little drugs. Part of, perhaps part of the epiphany. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but let's start with post-traumatic embitterment disorder, because this may be a thing with a capital T. Indeed. Um you know, to you, you already mentioned some of the uh, the misery of Scrooge, but it, it does uh, it it is important to point out that uh, he was orphaned as a child. His mm-hmm. mom died uh, giving birth to him, and his distraught father abandoned him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is you already have like an ample scar uh, loaded uh, into the psyche of the young Scrooge, and then he ends up falling in love with this woman, uh, and then abandons her in the name of financial gain because he doesn't have enough money. He doesn't have it, have, have that portion of his life squared uh, away enough to continue on with the, uh, the, the particulars of this uh, romance. So he just lets it go. That's right. So when we meet Scrooge on the stage, um, his pain has intensified. This bitterness has intensified and it intensifies particularly each Christmas Eve, because at this point, it's been seven years since Jacob Marley, his only friend, mm-hmm. has passed. And this really ushers in these ideas of bitterness and death. And um, you could say that th- that Scrooge is really grappling with this at this point when we see him, this this uh, end game of just embitterment that he's put himself into. Yeah, you know, as you as you watch any adaptation of this or, or read it, it's easy to just take take in these different uh, examples of his awfulness and take those as just uh, you know fleshing out his character. This is, this is what Scrooge is like. He yells at people who owe him money. Mm-hmm. He you know he chases children away. He he refuses uh, very uh, very nastily to give any money to charity. Mm-hmm. All these different things. You know, impolite and and rude or downright rude to relatives and employees and all this. But you could also see this as like this is the the apex of his of his misery and bitterness towards others. You could say that like that that he has has just this is the nastiest Scrooge has ever been. And he has really isolated himself mm-hmm. as a result. So what if you became so stressed out about your losses that you could barely function and you became obsessed with those perceived losses, which is a lot of what he's doing, right? He's he's going over old terrain and trying to figure out what happened to him and feeling very bitter about that. Now, according to Dr. Michael Linden, a German psychiatrist, this is a concept named post-traumatic environment disorder or PTED. And in his 2003 paper, Dr. Linden noted that PTED is similar to post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, except that those with PTSD suffer intense fear and anxiety after experiencing 
a life-threatening event. But those with PTED who are bitter, he says that they were hardworking and mentally healthy people until a triggering event destroyed their core values and shattered their basic beliefs. So in a sense, you could say that, I don't, I don't know that I would say that Scrooge was mentally healthy, but perhaps the breaking point for him was when he did lose Jacob Marley, who might have been sort of his last real connection to to what it felt like to have a, a good working relationship. Yeah, and probably a, a, you know, a model, too, of what he should be doing with his life and, and, and what is the, the correct path to take. Now, Lyndon first uh, began to piece together this idea of post-traumatic embitterment uh, disorder when he uh, observed it in disillusioned and embittered patients after German reunification. And, uh, and, and it's, it's worth noting that it's, uh, we're talking about a mixture of depression, helplessness, hopelessness, all, all sort of swirled up into one. It, it, it's easy to, to just think of bitterness as, uh, to just dismiss it as just kind of a, uh, an easy negative character trait, like oh something something crappy happened to this person. They're just bitter. They're just bitter. Mm-hmm. Like it's a choice that you make, you know, to to be bitter instead of be happy about something. But in one of the articles we were looking at, psychologist uh, Stephen A. Diamond, uh, I thought he had a really nice, like just robust explanation of bitterness itself. Not mm-hmm. even getting into post traumatic uh, embitterment disorder, but he said that it is a kind of morbid. Uh, Characterological hostility towards someone, something, or towards life itself, resulting from the constant repression of anger, rage, or resentment regarding how one really has or perceives to have been treated, a prolonged, resentful feeling of disempowered and devalued victimization. Yeah, victimization is Mm -hmm. key here because there's a lot of blame on other people or circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, so Scrooge is in this situation where, yeah, he's looking at all these institutions around him. He's looking at the the culture around him, and to him, he's not the you know he's not the the nasty guy that's just not going with the flow. Uh, he has been pushed into this corner by the uh, the circumstances in his life, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 here he is, you know, looking up at it as if you know from a pit. Now, the core criteria of PTD are one, a single exceptional negative life event which precipitates the onset of the illness. Mm-hmm. So again, perhaps Jacob Marley. Two, the present negative state developed in the direct context of the event. Three, the emotional response is embitterment and feelings of injustice. And four, repeated intrusive memories of the event. So again, obsessing about it. Mm-hmm. Five, emotional modulation is unimpaired. Patients can even smile when engaged in thoughts of revenge. <laughs> and six, no obvious other mental disorder that can explain the reaction. So that's where it gets a little bit murky because Lyndon found that PTED patients also suffered from a suite of other emotional complaints. Um, some of them just had general adjustment disorders. Some of them had general depression or something called dys- dysthymia. And then there were anxiety disorders as well. So it's kind of a poo-poo platter here. Yeah, and therefore it's also easy to misdiagnose it then. Yeah. To say, oh, well, this person is just suffering from uh, from a generalized anxiety disorder and you're not necessarily treating the root cause of, of what's going on. But what, definitely some of the hallmarks here are isolation. Like mm-hmm. you get, you become so obsessed with how you feel that you have been wronged in life that you begin to think about these details and blame people and, and really cut off your social connections. And bitterness can have some severe uh, physiological 
uh, ramifications as well, it seems. Um, and of course, that's kind of forecast by the third ghost who points out, hey, you keep down this path, it's going to kill you, right? Um, according to Karsten Warsh, a professor in Corcodia, oh, sorry, a professor in the Concordia University De- Department of Psychology and a member of the Center for Research in Human Development, quote, bitterness may forecast patterns of biological dysregulation, a physiological impairment that can affect metabolism, immune response, or organ function, and physical disease. It's kind of a downer. Yeah. Yeah. But this is Christmas. If you if you engage in cognitive behavioral therapy, it could be really helpful. That's what Lyndon had found. Um, the problem is that a lot of people don't seek help when they're in those situations. Yeah, especially if you have cut yourself off from almost everyone around you. Because, again, look at Scrooge. Who's reaching out to him? Like, a few people. Basically, his nephew is the, the main one who's saying, hey, come have some human uh, companionship. Uh, you know, be... Be a decent person. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm here and that's like the, one of the few remaining lifelines that's still being thrown to him. So yeah, you're in a situation like that. You're, you're not getting a lot of lifelines anymore. It's true. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to take a quick detour into the unconscious. All right. We're back. Uh, yeah. Let's discuss the unconsciousness of Ebenezer Scrooge. Right, because as we know, again, he has had all these different life events stacked up one after the other. Mm-hmm. And so obviously that's going to not just color his worldview, but that is going to color his unconscious. And we'll dip right back into that. I know we've talked about it before, but David Eagleman in his book Incognito, The Secret Life of the Brain, he claims that the brain is running the show incognito. And that this consciousness, this I feeling is just kind of this bit player that uh, is on the sidelines of this vast network of circuitry. And so he says, we're not at the center of ourselves. Instead, we're like the Earth in the Milky Way and the Milky Way in the universe. And we're far out on that distant edge, hearing little of what's actually transpiring. Yeah, philosopher and cognitive scientist Dan Dennett puts it this way. A person is approximately 100 trillion little cellular robots, an army. We emerge from that. Consciousness emerged from that. So the screws that we encounter is is due to, uh, you know, a lot of storms raging underneath the surface. And we're he himself is only encountering surface level Scrooge. So <clears throat> what's interesting about this is that along comes this tour through his past, present and future. Mm hmm. Which you could say would be, uh, might be a dream, or it might actually be ghosts that are visiting him. In any case, there's been this idea put out there that it is a kind of psychotherapy of the unconscious that is uncovering all of these things for Scrooge. Okay, so these are manifest- manifestations. These are like Jungian figures that are emerging from his subconscious, uh, and he's forced to, uh, to, to actually confront them. Yeah, especially if you consider that every Christmas Eve for the past seven years, mm-hmm. he's had this crisis. And for those seven years, perhaps, um, all these things have been going under the cover of his consciousness, and they now show up in this kind of form. Mm-hmm. So the idea here is that these spirits, ghosts, aliens, uh, Jungian manifestations, whatever you want to call them, uh, that they are providing a form of psychotherapy. Yeah, the American Psychological Association says there's several approaches to psychotherapy, including cognitive behavioral, which we already mentioned, interpersonal and other kinds of talk therapy. Mm -hmm. And that helps people uh, sort of work through their problems 
It's grounded in dialogue, a lot of talking again. It provides a supportive environment that allows you to talk openly with someone who's objective, neutral, and non-judgmental. And I don't know that you would say all the spirits are non-judgmental, but I remember them being a bit dispassionate and being sort of like, here, here's this, yeah. here's that. Yeah, I mean, especially the last one uh, is, is rather dispassionate. Uh, but but yeah, it, we, it's easy to, to think back on those three spirits and just focus on the fact that they are showing him things mm-hmm. and uh, showing him these visions of things that have been and things to come and things that are. But there is a lot of talking. There's a, it's, I mean, especially with the first two spirits. So the last one doesn't really say much. But uh, with the first two, especially, there's a dialogue going on between mm-hmm. Scrooge and the ghost. And you could you could easily say that that is a kind of psychotherapy. They're saying, look at these look at these events. Look at what happened here. How do you feel about that? Now, this is interesting. Uh, psychiatrist Stephen E. Wars has presented on this particular topic a number of times. And he, he goes so far as to suggest that Jacob Marley is Scrooge's primary physician, referring Scrooge <laughs> to his psychological spirit guides. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He does have that interaction with him where he's like, Scrooge. Yeah. Ugh, this yeah. is terrible. You don't want this. Yeah. He's saying, I screwed up. My path ended up uh, being the wrong one. I can't really help you, but uh, here are three specialists that can. Yeah, and you had mentioned Stephen Diamond. He says that in Jungian terms, we could say that his unconscious self, Scrooge's unconscious self, starts speaking to him on that cold and lonely Christmas Eve via his dreams. Dreams, as Freud found, are the via regia, or regal road to the unconscious, and can be understood as forms of communication from the unconscious. Yeah, I think that's a solid interpretation. I like that. Yeah. So you could make the case, yes, that these uh, these spirit guides were taking him through an accelerated pace of psychotherapy in order for him to arrive at an epiphany. And as we all know, epiphanies are they're kind of weird things. They seem, again, like those sort of aha moments when, in fact, they have been bubbling under the surface. On that note, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk epiphanies and we're going to hit rock bottom. Oh, dear. Yes. All right, we're back. Um, epiphanies. Epiphanies are the stuff of great stories. Um, well, at least they're the stuff of stories. Um, you're constantly encountering characters who have that just extreme aha moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and you, you do see that in Scrooge, right? He wakes up from all of this and he realizes, I had it all wrong. I'm changing my life. And you see this in, in other Christmas stories, too. Um, um, you see this in It's a Wonderful Life, too, right? He has that epiphany right. where he realizes, hey, life is worth living. It's worth climbing out of the pit for. I am going to survive this horrible season. Ah, but the pit, that's the important part. Mm-hmm. That's the rock bottom that you usually have to hit in order for you to be able to get a handle on what it is you need to confront. Ah, indeed. You know who's another uh, fictional character, uh, semi-fictional character who hit rock bottom before uh, before everything got rolling? Kermit. Dante. 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 You know, he reaches this this dark point. That's why he has to go through hell and then purgatory and, and uh, finally heaven. All right. So you see there's a rich literary tradition here. Uh, John Skalski and Brigham Young University psychology professor Sam Hardy conducted an in-depth study of 14 people who experienced profound, sudden, and lasting change. I will take issue with sudden, though, right? Mm-hmm. Um It says that uh, the parallels they found with the participants in Scrooge is that they all had hit rock bottom in their lives. And they all had a trusted friend like Marley who opened up their perspective on their perceived life tragedies, allowing them to recast and recover from them. Now, I want to throw in here that rock bottom doesn't necessarily mean 
I was in a, in a gutter or I was yeah. at the bottom of a grave. It can just mean like you've reached like maximum stress level, maximum emotional, psychological angst over a particular thing. Yeah, again, these are these are huge life events. A lot of them had to do with money too, right? Like people yeah. were uh pretty tied to their associations with money and their status with money and then That's when the kind was, of world we've built for ourselves. Indeed, yep. and when they were um when that was taken away from them or they lost that fortune, then they had to confront what it meant to be that person that they were inhabiting. So that's what's interesting about this. Um, you can find more information out about it in the Humanistic Psychologist. That's the 2012 January issue. But we brought it up because we thought, well, Scrooge, he's definitely hit rock bottom. Indeed. Now, in that study, that I, there's also something I like to think of as the Marley factor. They said that most study participants described the presence of a uh, a living, trusted other person during their experience. So, again, they yeah. can sort of uh, give that uh, value to Marley. Yeah, and again, that's that person who can provide that perspective shift because we all need that right when you're Mm -hmm. down in the dumps you've hit rock bottom you need someone to say it's okay like you you're you're breathing right now yeah there's there's food available to you hopefully someone you know someone to say you can go on yeah Yeah. you can say marley's the sponsor i guess you know it could be yeah yeah, yeah, he hasn't really kicked his condition uh since he is uh presumably uh, a denizen of hell. Right. He doesn't have a motivation to anymore. He's just shackled, right? He's shackled to his ledger book, right? Something along to some sort of symbol. Yeah, yeah, symbols of his uh, his preoccupation with money and bookkeeping, uh, the the chains he forged in life. And I do want to mention another reason that I love that uh, Scrooge musical, uh, the film adaptation of Albert Finney, is that Scrooge actually goes to hell in it. There's an actual hell with like big, beefy demons walking around. Big beefy demons. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's big, like muscular, red painted demons marching yeah. around, and there's a scene with ghosts flying through the air. Okay, so why didn't NBC air that instead of Peter Pan Live? As much as I like seeing Christopher Walken <laughs> like sort of oddly drunk dancing as a pirate, I don't know. Maybe that could be the next one because the, the whole thing is like they're, they're doing live productions of musicals or plays, right? They could do Scrooge. It's a it's it's a musical, and it's got some wonderful numbers in it. So do they, that next year. Maybe I'll watch it. They could, and they should. Yep. Now there is something, uh, a little something called altruism that Scrooge was able to finally tap into when he had his epiphany. Oh, to tap into is, is putting it lightly because he really he doesn't just turn on the tap. He like hacks into the keg with an axe. He just goes crazy. Giving out stuff, right? I mean, that's always the big scene where he's, it's toys for everyone. It's giant turkeys for everyone. It's just (laughs) because it's built up, right? He has all of this do-goodery. He could have been doing all this altruism that that he could have been engaging with. And he hasn't for years and years. I mean, for much of his life. And we've talked about this before. We've talked about altruism and happiness and this idea that your brain's reward system is actually going to light up when you engage in acts of altruism. Psychologists uh, Elizabeth Dunn and Laura Ackman, along with Michael Norton of Harvard Business School, conducted a 2008 study in which participants were given either $5 or $20 to spend by the end of the day. Half were instructed to buy for themselves, the other for someone else. And that evening, people who had been assigned to spend money on someone else reported happier moods over the course of the day than did those people assigned to spend money on themselves, which I think makes sense. Yeah. I mean, at the very base of it, like not even getting into the act of it, you are you are thinking about someone else. It's taking you out of your own, uh, uh, you know, default mode network and, mm-hmm. and your thoughts of self and putting you into thoughts of another. And, and ultimately, that's one of 
in my opinion, one of one of the benefits, uh, the one of the, the the pros that comes with the holiday season is an emphasis on, at least to some extent, thinking about other people. Right, and you, in a way, you're empowered because you feel like you're making an impact or a positive impact on someone else. Yeah. If you're able to give them something that they need. Yeah. After the experience is done, you have the memory of the experience and the, the feeling that you did something and also kind of the open ended question. You can almost, you almost end up sort of fantasizing about how they feel about what you did just to bring it all back to kind of a, a selfish uh, gene area. But uh, as opposed to just buying something and then there you are with the thing you bought. And how does that feel? Feeling like an empty husk. Yeah, that's right. Now, there is an alternate take on how Scrooge achieved this epiphany. Yes. Yeah. This is, uh, this is one that I've, I've blogged about before and it really, it all comes back to the saucepan. Uh, because, uh, after, you know, after he wakes up, he's had the, the epiphany. Uh, this is directly from, um, Dickens' A Christmas Carol. He says, There's the saucepan that the gruel was in, cried Scrooge, starting off again and frisking around the fireplace. There's the door by which the ghost of Jacob Marley entered. There's the corner where the ghost of Christmas present sat. There's the window where I saw wandering spirits. It's all right. It's all true. It all happened. Ah, ha, ha, ha. That's right. That's, that's, uh, Scrooge, who is just having his epiphany and seems to be in a bit of an altered state. Yeah. And, and so I have to ask what was in the saucepan? Why indeed does, uh, when Marley appears, he, he, he initially tries to dismiss it by saying, Oh, it's, you're just something I ate, some bit of, uh, uh, you know, bad potato or whatever. Um, but perhaps it was something different than bad potato. Perhaps it was, um, a psychedelic substance. A hallucinogenic substance that gave him this experience. And if we refer back to some of our uh, podcasts that we've done mm-hmm. on, uh, let's see, the scientists and the shaman series, uh, we did an episode about, um, psychedelics, uh, uh being administered to prepare, uh, one for death, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the various research that has gone into the potential, um, non-recreational, uh, uses for these substances. And you see, uh, a couple of prime candidates as to what might have been in that gruel. Something that would have blown open the doors of perception. Right. Right. And then something that might have made him feel as though he were one with fellow man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and made and gave him gave him a, a lasting or, a, you know, change in personality. Um, so one possibility here is that uh, there was DMT mm-hmm. in the gruel. Uh, DMT, of course, is a naturally occurring psychedelic compound that's found in plants such as ayahuasca vines in South America. And as with all natural psychedelics, this stuff uh, has factored into uh, shamanistic rituals for thousands of years. Um, under a shaman's guidance, individuals partook of these uh, perception-altering elements and endured intense and sometimes harrowing mental journeys through time and space. They encountered unreal entities, shades of departed loved ones, and they saw the world around them as if for the first time and perceived deep truths about themselves and the cosmos. Uh, and finally, as the effects of DMT would wear off, uh, or the or the uh, the ayahuasca, what it, what have you? They emerge from their mental journey transformed. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like Scrooge after eating a little gruel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, as we discussed in that uh, in that podcast episode, uh, the pair of podcast episodes, scientists and the shaman, researchers at John Hopkins Medical Center and other uh, esteemed medical research labs continue to study the effects of DMT and other psychedelics, not only to better understand how our minds work, but also to learn how these substances can help us treat mental illnesses. Uh, deal with addictions, and maybe even find a bit of enlightenment. So I guess the, the ghost of future would be a bit of the bad trip part. Yes, you could say that. But, I mean, that's it's kind of uh, a bad trip, I guess, is kind of kind of relative because 
uh, everything we've we've read about uh, uh, the intense experiments experiences of uh, DMT or uh, ayahuasca, uh, you know, you're, you're often dealing with really harrowing uh, encounters. I mean, stuff that's going to change you, stuff that should not be taken lightly at, say, a fish show. <laughs> Indeed, no. And the other possibility is that it could have been psilocybin, magic mushrooms, right? A uh, 2011 study at John Hopkins University gave high doses of psilocybin to 51 test subjects, and 30 of these individuals experienced measurable personality changes that lasted more than a year. And what changes? Well, according to researcher Dr. Catherine McLean uh, in uh, in an episode of the Secular Buddhist podcast, which I highly recommend everyone uh, check that out, openness was affected out of all measurable personality traits. And again, that's ultimately where we find Scrooge. Suddenly he is open to the world. He mm-hmm. blasts open those windows and talks to a random child. He's blasting open his own uh, windows uh, to let the world back in. Which allows him to finally listen to what Jacob Marley has to say. And I thought maybe we could walk ourselves out of this uh, episode with this quote from uh, from Marley after Scrooge says, What are you doing? Why are you walking around like a ghost? <laughs> he says, You are always a good man of business, Jacob. And the ghost of Marley, his legs bound by a chain of ledger books and cash boxes, replies, business, mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Hear, hear. (laughs) So there you have it, A Christmas Carol, Scrooge. Uh, that's our take on uh, the man and his condition, drawing in some uh, some science here and there. Uh, but, of course, we'd love to hear from uh, everyone else out there. Uh, what's your take on Scrooge and his predicament? Uh, and how do you tie it into your own experience of the holidays? Indeed. And if you guys would like some more from us, you can visit StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's right. You'll find all the podcast episodes, all the blog posts, um, all the videos, links out to our social media accounts. StuffToBlowYourMind.com. In the meantime, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And you can do that by sending your little ditty to blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 